Hello, DirtCast listeners. It is your host, Madeline Davies. This week, we are going to be talking about a topic that is both terrifying and enticing to me. Teenagers, more specifically teen mags and uh, celebrity teen heartthrobs. And to help us get into that and to discuss the dirtiest dirt of the week, we have Dodi Stewart, who is the editor-in-chief of Fusion. She was the former deputy editor of Jezebel. And she used to work for J14, and she is an angel living in a human's body. It's super powerful, and it's it's like one, it's like one of the last true joys we have. Like, come on. And then later in the episode, we are talking to Anne Rasso, who used to write for Tiger Beat back in the early 80s. I mean, generally that more androgynous type is the type that appeals to young girls. A couple months ago, Anne wrote a Gothamist article called I Worked for Tiger Beat Magazine During Its 1980s Glory Days. And so we are going to be talking to her about who she interviewed, what the celebrity landscape looked like back then, who was a jerk, who was awesome, and we are very excited to talk to her. But first, I'm going to try a little one-sided banter, and I'm going to tell you guys what I'm up to, because I'm sure you care deeply, probably obsessively, which makes me a little bit worried, but that's okay. Um, I am currently reading a book about the Donner Party, and it is fucking my entire life up. Well, so the Donner Party, to be clear, in case you don't know, they were a group of emigrants who were traveling to California in the 1840s, and literally everything that could possibly go wrong to a pioneer went wrong to them, and they ended up having to eat each other. And this book, it's called The Indifferent Stars Above, is really shaking me to my core because it's making me ask myself a lot of questions like, who would I eat? And sort of, why do I complain about air travel now? when the fact is I can fly to California and it doesn't take me five months. I don't lose my baby to malaria and I don't have to eat my cousin. So really, maybe this is just an ode to uh, current modern day travel because guys, it's so much better. It's so much better now. Um, Everything's so much better now and I can't believe that we ever romanticize the West because that shit is so crazy. There was like, I don't know, if you want to have a group of people where everything could possibly go wrong with them, the Donner Party is it, and that it was just sort of like, they were supposed to leave by May 1st, and that was the only way they would miss the storms, and they missed their deadline and went anyway, and then they were kind of swindled by this con man, and then they ended up at this horrible part of this, uh, just like, just shy of where they were supposed to go. They got lost in the mountains, froze again, ate each other, and, like, then went on to have very successful lives, which I think good for them. I mean, they've earned it. If anyone's earned a nice, successful life, it is a member of the honor party. But enough about that. Let's get into our interview. Joining us today for two segments, uh, not one, too. <laughs> First, she's going to talk about the dirtiest dirt of the week with us Ooh. because she knows about it and she started the dirtbag column probably. Two, she's going to talk about her days working at J14 because that's where she got her start. Who could it be? Who could it be? I wonder. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dodi Stewart. <sighs> oh, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> that was the live audience reacting. Yeah, we have, um, this is a live episode. I don't know. Sorry. I don't know Sorry. why I felt the need to do my own sound effects. I don't know why we didn't tell everybody right away that we're doing this, um, <laughs> yeah, in front of a crowd. We're at the, we're at UCB Los Angeles. <laughs> just, um, just as usual. Yeah, definitely. This yeah. is just where we work. Right. Um, Dodi, I'm so happy to have you on. I'm so excited to be here. I don't know if everybody knows, but Dodi is the love of my life. Aww. And she has introduced me to so many good pop culture stuff. Mm. So many good pop culture things, I guess is probably <laughs> grammatically correct. I didn't. I'm not responsible for her English education. No, she is not. Um, <laughs> but you can probably blame her a little bit for, like, my blogging education. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. Um, but Dodi, let's talk about some celebrity gus. Okay, you, you know I love it. So you were really excited to talk about American... Girl abroad, Meghan Markle. Yeah. Smooching up on that Prince Harry. Hell yeah. I mean, I don't really know anything about her except that she's pretty. She is pretty. She's so pretty. Um, so, but I feel good about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel good about that part. Sure. Um, she's biracial, and I like that. Yes. That's kind of like a new twist in the situation over there. Right, it's for like, the deal with it, royals. Yeah, exactly. And then I guess they, like, kissed at a polo match. I feel like that's very pretty woman. That is very pretty woman. <laughs> and so it just seems like a kind of a cool situation. Or also, like, very, like, what a girl wants. Yes. Um, where it's just like, ooh, right. it's like crazy Americans going over there. Yeah. It's going to. Wow, what happened to that up. guy? We know what happened to Amanda Bynes, but what happened to the guy from What a Girl Wants? God, what happened to him? Was his um, name, like, Ollie? Ollie? They're all named Ollie. I think so. <laughs> I feel like he was in, like, one more movie. Was he maybe in, like, a Hillary Duff movie, I feel like, a little bit later? I wouldn't put it past him. He had, like, very, like, um, angular hair, right? Yes, very angular, very, like, Dragon Ball Z hair. Yeah. Um, and also kind of a, like, I think, like, multicultural. Yes. Right? Wasn't Definitely. He? Yeah. Hmm. Well, and then he, like, worked at a hostel that Amanda Bynes went to. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, that's how I actually love that movie. I don't know why. Um, but there's a part where she, Amanda Bynes, is going to England to find her estranged father, right. Colin Firth. Right. Um, Obviously. She doesn't know where to look for him. She doesn't know anything about him. Right. But she ends up at this very shabby hostel. I forgot that's how they met. That's also very cool. Yeah. And he, like, tells her where the Lou is. And she goes, where's Lou? No, she goes, who's Lou? <laughs> oh, no. Um, phone is broken. Elevator. None. Lou's free. Who's Lou? We, we better take this slowly. And that's just like the, how that humor is for the whole movie. It's a pretty, pretty bad movie that I also always watch whenever it comes on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but back to Meghan Markle. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that uh, if you really want to shake it up over there in the aristocracy, royalty, mm -hmm. you got to get yourself like a pretty American biracial chick. That sounds like a great idea. Um, and make her a duchess of something. Yeah. <laughs> Give her that crown. Please. Thank you. Do you think Pippa is like furious about oh God. Uh, the no. wedding? No. You think so? No. About being like overshadowed? Why would Pippa care? I don't know. I, just, I can't really think about what Pippa's problems are. <laughs> Well, and I guess you have to tell yourself, like, Pippa actually kind of hasn't made in that it's yeah. like she is completely unremarkable and yet will never struggle. Pippa's in the best possible place because the paparazzi doesn't follow Pippa the way they do the other people. And she can just, you know, she it's, it's like she's a she's adjacent to yeah. all the wealth and fame without having to 
have the constant intrusions. Just like it's better to be Prince Harry than Prince William. It's right. better to be Pippa than to be right. Right. the Duchess of Cambridge. Exactly. Because Harry can get drunk all he wants. Although I love his new reformed, right. uh, like, he's like a rebel with a cause now. Right. He's not he's doing... dressing up like a Nazi. That's right. And, <laughs> and I will say, I'm not defending the Nazi costume at all. I hope not. <laughs> but... When he did that, it was the theme of the party was bad taste. Yes, I know. I know that. Well, I'm just saying. He <laughs> <laughs> was on theme. I think it's just like one of those things where you're just like, oh, you're really rich and wealthy, but like really dumb. Yeah. Well, he, but I don't think he's, he's dumb been anymore. Sheltered his whole life. Yeah. Um, he's at least trying to follow in the footsteps of his mother and yeah. do some philanthropic good. Yeah. I saw he and Rihanna. Uh, you know. Like at a charitable event, and I enjoyed that very much. I bet <laughs> it's a lot of your interest in version one place. I love Rihanna. Um, yeah, I just feel like if you know, there's a um, there's kind of a cliche like the Amanda Bynes movie and a lot of different movies about like an American woman, you know, being discovered by a royal by like a British royal yeah. and being swept away in like a Cinderella fantasy. And it's very Grace Kelly. Yeah, but for me, having her be like half black is like it just makes it even better. Yeah, and it makes Prince Harry like even like makes him even more like the more appealing of the yeah. princes. Yes. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Let's let's shake it up over there. Let's get some uh... Merkel. Let's get yeah. some Merkel in there. <laughs> Markle. Uh, Markle. I'm sorry. Angela Merkel. Meghan Markle. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I also think we need to get more Angela Merkel oh, okay. in the celebrity gossip right. uh, yeah. realm. Definitely. You know, That's she, what it's lacking. She's one of the only pillars of liberalism left, don't I? <laughs> I we know, need who her. was she kissing at the polo match? No one ever tells us. Hmm. And she deserves it, you know? <laughs> she, I want her to date like a young American film or TV star. That'd be fun. <laughs> like a Chad Michael Murray or something. Oh, no. <laughs> Why would you wish that on anyone? True. Another thing I want to talk to you about, the Met Ball happened yeah. very recently. Yes. Uh, do you have any faves, any favorite looks? Well, Rihanna, obviously. Yeah. She also was the only one who did anything interesting. Yeah, and she just, like, she looked beautiful. It was appropriate for the event, the runway to real life kind of situation, if you can call that real life. <laughs> you um, can't. <laughs> <laughs> but she, like, wore the hell out of that dress, and she looked fantastic. I, I loved the makeup. Yeah. I love her sort of attitude on the red carpet, which is like having fun with it and, yeah. you know, not just, uh, you know, she smiles and she gives serves looks, but also like looks like she's having a good time. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's most appealing about her is that she doesn't seem miserable. Right. Or like she takes, I mean, I think she probably takes herself pretty seriously, but it's not like she can't enjoy herself. Right. It's like there's that video of her, um, like when she wore that amazing sheer, like, Swarovski dress. Oh, the crystals, yeah. And, and there's, like, the the video of her, like, dancing in it backstage. And you're like, oh, she's having a great time. Right. Like, her nips are out. Yeah. And she's in yeah. high spirits. Yes. She has a lot of joie de vivre. She really does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, how did you feel, though, about, like, celebrities smoking cigarettes around, like, priceless pieces of art? Um, I felt not good about it. I feel like <laughs> it didn't make you, didn't make you excited. No, I think it's wrong. And I think it's, 
I, it's so rude. And it's so – it's already incredibly privileged to be at that right. event and incredibly privileged to have – for Vogue to be like, we are having a party in this event where people work every day to preserve – priceless artifacts, art and artifacts, and right. then to just, like, light up a cigarette and, like, spill your cocktail on it's, the floor, it's it, it enrages me, actually. I mean, it's these people really do not believe that any rule applies to them. Right. Where it's just sort of, oh, I am in a really important, well-regarded museum. I'm <laughs> Bella Hadid. Why shouldn't I light up a cigarette? It makes me really angry. Yeah. I mean, just imagine if there was some sort of piece of thing that had preserved for thousands of years right up until the moment that a Hadid sister, like, drops some ashes on it. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, like an ancient Mesopotamian. And it would be the Bella. (laughs) It would be her. I'm just saying. It's very upsetting. It's, uh, yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. but also, for some reason, I, like, would be okay with it because that would just be, like, another uh, page in the in the history of art, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it's true. It's, like, the carvings in the Temple of Dender. Like, that's just, like, from, like, Roman yeah. tourists in the 1800s. Right. It's like, oh, just another layer. Yeah, I guess <laughs> Bella that's Hadid's true. cigarette mark. <laughs> I guess that's true. But I just think that um, – I don't know. I, f- it's, I feel like it's one of those things where in – a hundred years, if we last that long, someone will be like, I can't believe they let them party around this art yeah, or whatever. I think you're probably right. I don't know. I know. Bella Hadid, really she has are. chronic Lyme, don't I? So <laughs> have some respect, please. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good, a really good line. <sighs> I want to get more like critic references on the show where okay. it's like uh, – where I'd be like, it stinks. You know, <laughs> just like something that like only people who watched this one season of the like, – you know, the lone season of the show, the critic will be like, ha, ha, ha. And everyone else will just really hate it. It stinks. Wait, can we also just talk about that that mirror uh, mirror photo? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, where – I don't know. It was a whole – I think it was Kylie – he yes. was holding the phone yeah. slash camera, and then there, but it was like an entire posse. It was like Kim, Diddy. I think yeah, there was another pic with Diddy too, and I'm like maybe conflating them, yeah. but he definitely was in that. And Brie Larson like just happened to be coming into the bathroom to pee, and she got like <laughs> roped into it. Yeah. Well, there were all these people in the photo, and only one person out of I feel probably 20 people yeah. crammed into that photo. Only one person was doing the thing that you're supposed to do in that photo, and it was Lily Aldridge. And what was she doing? She was looking into the camera. She found the camera. She connected with the camera lens, which is what a model is supposed to do, and everyone else was looking at themselves. Right, because that's the problem with mirror selfies is that you always want to look at yourself, and you're supposed to look at the lens. That's right. She was looking at the lens, and I was like, crop everyone else out of this photo. Lily Aldridge wins. I remember once reading, like, what her um, diet was before oh, the Victoria no. Angels fashion show. I thought you were going to say before d- Victorian times. Before Victorian <laughs> times. She's a um, ghost. Yeah. she could. I mean, the name suggests it. It does. I don't know. I know. I could see it. And the pallor, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's uh, rude to me as that someone who is sorry. practically translucent. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, I recently uh, read a modern love essay where the man who wrote it was from my home state. And I talk about it. I talk about Wisconsin too much and I don't know why. But 
he described his own skin skin tone as tilapia colored. Oh, no. And I was like, that's really good. <laughs> and like very. With the like blue vein. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's really accurate for, <laughs> for what all of wow. us like Midwesterners look like. <laughs> Flaky. Yeah, that's us. Tilapia. Catch so, of the day. Yeah, chapped. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So the real reason I have you here is one to like trick you into having a conversation because you're oh, so no. busy all the time. Oh, oh, hi. Um, <laughs> and two because this is a special about teen mags. Oh, yay! And teen press. Oh my gosh. Um, and so I know you worked for J14 during the early aughts. It was really exciting. How did that happen? Well, I don't know. I mean, so much like uh other jobs that I've had since then. The place didn't exist when I got there. It was like a startup of a teen mag. I had worked at Entertainment Weekly. I had some like random uh, entertainment reporting experience. I was also kind of into fashion and I came on and I was uh, able to sort of shape the role that I had, which was to cover music and fashion. (laughs) Um, There were really only like four of us. It was a very small staff in the beginning. I sort of built up contacts in the, you know, different record labels, different fashion people that we would borrow clothes from for photo shoots. We were just shooting it still, like, on a set because we did a lot of, like, get the look, <laughs> like, of whoever it was, you know, Britney yeah. or Amanda Bynes or But whatever. I remember reading those things and, like, being really like, oh, if I want to look like Drew Barrymore, I need to get this kind of peasant top or whatever. Yes, yes. I did so many of those. And, like, sourcing the sneakers and, like, choker or whatever else you might need. Um, Um, Sunglasses. You you brought along some of your clips, and it's (laughs) genuinely amazing. I really, really love it. I also wrote quizzes. God, the quizzes were always so Um, much fun. Yeah. (laughs) Here's what – there's a Dear Diddy where Diddy answers uh, reader questions, which, like, (laughs) imagining, like, you pitching that is really fun. (laughs) Yeah. It was fun. He was – I mean, he's a dad, you know, so his advice was very um, conservative, even though he's living this – Respect yourself. (laughs) Yeah. He's living this, you know, diamond-studied – lifestyle, studied, studded, lifestyle, but his... um, I think he studies them, too. Sure. Um, His advice, his dating advice was like, you know, you know, just get a pizza and, like, go to the movies and then take your butt home. Like, don't stay out late. (laughs) I love it. It was like, keep it clean. (laughs) Meanwhile, like, he, like, discharges a gun while at a club with Jennifer Lopez. Exactly. Um, One of the best spreads that you shared is a feature called Boy Crazy. Yes, that's right. Um, And I really love it. There's a hottie of the month, and it's Orlando Bloom. Of course. Um, <laughs> who recently on Jezebel, we had a discussion of, like, what terrible movies did you see as a teenager because, like, your movie crush was in it. Yeah. And for me, it was Black Hawk Down. Oh, yeah. Because I was like. There were a lot of hotties in yeah. that one. Ewan McGregor was in it. Josh Hartnett. Yeah. Hotnet. Hot net. <laughs> um, but there's also a feature that's just called Guess the Chest, and it's um, three headless torsos um, that you then have to guess who it belongs to. My favorite kind of male objectification. I know. 
<laughs> well, and also like you kind of, I like that the clues uh, sort of lets you lets you lets you know who it is. Oh, you're just like a little hint. So it's not because yeah. you don't want to make it too hard for the teens. Like, is it getting hot in her? <laughs> I'm guessing that's Nelly. I would guess so too. <laughs> One thing I have always really appreciated about you. Oh is God. that uh, you, like, still understand the value of a celebrity crush. Yeah. Um, Always. Yeah. And yeah. I'm wondering if you could, like, explain that value. <laughs> I mean, I think, look, I could probably tell you some deep psychological thing about how, you know, there are so many things going on in the world and it's like rough out there and you're just like a work woman in the workplace and you have to find <laughs> the one thing <laughs> that gives you pleasure get you through the day and whether it's like jason momoa or not you know it's yes. fine it's partially that it's partially like don't lose that inner teenager in yourself yeah um that fi- that can find joy at those things at these like very simple pleasures. Um, I think it's also the element of fantasy, and I believe in the kind of old fashioned concept of movie star. I know this sounds crazy, but no, no, I you know not that they not that they should be smoking in the <laughs> Met Museum, but that kind of like yes, they're t- they're talented. They're then they're, they're more talented than the average person. They're better looking than the average person. They're spreading um, some kind of like joy globally as their job. And it's not that they're untouchable, but you do put them on a pedestal for a reason because right. they are, yeah, some sort of ideal, you know. Right. And um, and I like to preserve that kind of relationship where it's I don't want to hear about the bad things that they've done. I still want to believe that they're that there's some like idealistic kind of thing that they're just a great guy. They're a dream. They're a dream. They're they're so funny in that movie. They look so good. They're so sweet with their kids or whatever. I'm thinking specifically about Momoa right now. Like yeah. please don't tell me any negative Momoa gossip. I, I don't cry. have any. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I feel like that's like a I feel like that's like a fun relationship to have and and knowing that it's not realistic, but also being like, yes, I know, and I'm buying into the dream of this like untouchable real star. Like it's a star that's in the heavens sparkling and it's not based in reality. It's right. based in some in the distance is part of it. Absolutely. I mean, I think I've gotten to a point where I don't wanna interview people I admire because right. it's like I wanna keep that. Yeah. Some, yeah, um, which I is mean, why I've turned down so many big names. <laughs> no, and I think there's power in it because you also get to fill in all the blanks yourself, you know, right. and put the it's you get to build the narrative that you want to. Definitely, it's fantasy. Yeah, I feel like it's the healthy. only thing I think it's healthy. Yeah, I don't think it's unhealthy by right. any means. <laughs> I think people who diminish it, I mean, typically tend to be men, and yeah. they also are like men who play fantasy football, so they can go fuck themselves as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it's funny because it is, it's not that only, only women do it, but it is something that women do starting at a younger age. Yeah. And there are so many industries from young adult books to movies to music that are fueled by young women with that kind of passion. Um, and they're writing fanfic on Tumblr and they're, right. they're actually buying music when no one else is. And they're buying, you know, tickets to see Twilight and all those things. And it's like, why, you know, yeah, why diminish it? It's it's super powerful and it's it's like one of, it's like one of the last true joys we have. Like, come on, people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that power source, again, like you yeah. said, it 
it fuels so much. Right. Like even just like of our economy, of our cultural economy. Yeah. And it's, like, terrifying, which if you've ever written anything <laughs> negative about One Direction or, right. you know, yeah. Five Seconds of Summer, like, you probably have encountered these fans. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's just – I know when Trump uh, – it like, Liam Payne from One Direction told a story about Trump being rude to the band once. And I was like, if all these girls turn voting age by the next election – and, like, they could be the ones. Yeah. I mean, again, it's if they do it. But <laughs> right. it's just like, you guys could be the ones to save the world. Yeah. yeah. They're motivated. They have a lot of time on their hands. Yeah. <laughs> and they're passionate. And I and part of it is that kind of, I don't know, it's almost like, it's not tunnel vision, but it's like a very specific, like, zoning in on something and being, you know, incredibly committed and devoted that, like, a lot of people, like you said, it's like they just don't do or they do it about a sports team, which is just a different, like, a different vibe. Right. Is there a teen phenomenon that you're really into right now? Um, really into Riverdale, which is a teen drama based on the Archie comics. It's on the CW network where all good programming lives. <laughs> do you guys go to Riverdale? We do. Yeah, we're Both sophomores. Of us together. <laughs> Me too. I'm filled with dread. Why is that? Are you familiar with the works of Truman Capote? I'm Breakfast at Tiffany's, but this place is strictly in cold blood. <laughs> <laughs> Veronica Lodge. Archie. Andrews. Ah, this is Betty Cooper. I'm so into it. I've heard it's really good. It's not good. No. Someone <laughs> lied to you. <laughs> but I've heard it's, it's very, like, incest -y. Yeah, it's, it's campy good. It's a kind of campy slash comic book good. Like, the visuals... Um, remind me of when they take comic book properties and put them on in movies or on television, mm -hmm. except instead of a superhero or, you know, like a supervillain, it's teenagers in high school. But, like, they have, you know, certain characters have, like, color schemes where yeah. they're always in the same colors. and um, Like Heathers almost. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is Heathers-esque because it's very dark. Um, it's a little self-knowing, like it's a little, you know, it, it's it's winky. It's also got this weird where they try to make it timeless-ish because obviously the comic came out like in the 50s and these are characters that have been around for a very long time, but they're introducing them to sort of a new generation and maybe that new generation's parents because like right. Luke Perry is in it. Yeah, Luke Perry plays a dad. Yeah, and Molly Ringwald plays a mom. Whoa. Yeah. And so it's so, like two teen icons in their own right. Exactly. And Skeet Ulrich is in it also. I know. And then, but then they also like as set dressing. So these are modern teenagers and they definitely have smartphones, but as smart as set dressing in some of the scenes, like Betty works at the school newspaper and there's literally like a Mac SE2, <laughs> like from the 90s in this in the school newspaper office. And there's also a typewriter and like a black rotary phone. At Archie's house, there's a rotary phone, the kind that hangs on the wall with like a long cord. And, like, in somebody's garage, there's, like, an old tube TV. Like, they have all these old technology things on the set to sort of, I guess, to give it a sense of timelessness. Mostly it just pulls you out of it. Well, it gives me something to count while I'm watching. I'm like, I'm going to count all the old technology in this episode. This is something I've actually been thinking of a lot lately, this idea of sort of how, like, a lot of things, like, aimed at tweens and teenagers seem to really be relying on nostalgia from— right. When, both when I was a teenager and when you were a teenager. And it's really, really strange where it's sort of trying to capture nostalgia but also sort of destroying it in a very strange yeah, way. Where right. It's, 
Like the, like remaking 21 Jump Street or Baywatch? Yeah, or even just um, that Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why, oh where it's God. just— yeah, it's like that it involves cassette tapes, and at one point, one of the guys is a DJ, and he goes, yeah, but you can't get a sound like this on anything else. And it's like, you literally can get better sound on anything else. <laughs> um, yeah, I also watched that. I can't believe they renewed it for a second season. Um, it's so, I don't know. I hated every minute of it, but I did enjoy it. are a very big fan of Korean teen soaps I am. and K-pop. <laughs> yeah. Which I feel like is kind of the place where that kind of like nostalgic, pure teen industry is happening the most. I mean, talk about like fueling an industry. It's so huge. It's the Asian pop music market is like billions of dollars and it's mostly fueled by teenage girls. Teenage and 20-something. And yeah. Um, and if a band does well in Korea, then they have them play in China and Japan and Thailand. And it becomes a whole – they tour all of Asia and it's like we here may have never heard of them and they're making like millions of dollars. Yeah. And super famous. You can't walk down the street. Do you think the U.S. market is just like harder to break into or is it that – I don't know. It just seems like there's oftentimes people who are global phenomenons where we're just the U.S. doesn't know them at all. Yeah, I don't know. It's really strange. I also think it's a strange time in the U.S. music market right now. There are hardly any women on the pop charts. It's all like chain smokers and do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's featuring Halsey. Yeah, I know. But it's not. There are no. There are no female solo artists on right now. It's like it's like Bruno Mars. Or, you know... You mean, like, right now, immediately, right, right now, now, immediately, like, this week that we're recording. Right. So not, yeah. yeah. We're not talking about, like, Beyonce and Adele and yeah, Rihanna. Yeah, Beyonce, Adele, and Rihanna don't have albums out right. right now. It's just, like, a weird time. And maybe there'll be something coming for summer, summer tunes, but the people who have been making the summer tunes recently have been, like, Drake and Calvin Harris and Bieber, and it's been a... It's just been, like, a strange time, and... Yeah, you're really right. I guess all of the music videos I've watched in, like, the past week have all been from men. Harry Styles. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know you love Harry. I love him so much. But His, Zane is my one. You know that Harry's concert tickets for New York sold out in one minute? Yeah, I saw that. Are you sad? A little bit. Are you going to go anyway? I think so. <laughs> I support you. Not, I mean emotionally, in. not financially. But, okay. okay. <laughs> well, you already said you would, so deal's a deal. <laughs> Um, yeah, you're a, so you're like a Zane head. I just think he's so handsome. He's beautiful. And then when I listen to his music, um, which is not fantastic, but it's okay. But then he had one song where he was singing in Urdu. I was literally moved. Like I put my hand on my heart and I was like, this is beautiful. <laughs> I, okay, the look you're giving me right now. <laughs> I have no right to judge. I have zero right to judge. It was really beautiful, and I just felt like uh, I don't know. I'm I'm I don't know his real true story, but right. I am sort of invested in the narrative of like he was the sole kind of like the quote unquote ethnic one, right? <laughs> the, the mysterious one, yeah. which is like a dog whistle for like Ex the brown one, exactly. So like the sole like dude of color in this group, and you know they were 
friends, but they were put together by Simon Cowell. Yeah, to be a business model and for him to like go off and do his own thing, which is kind of like brooding and to sing in Urdu and all this like breaking free. I I don't know. I just like bought into it and I loved every minute of it. And I love that he was selling sweatshirts on his in his merch store that said his name in Urdu uh, characters. And I don't know. And he's just like his eyelashes. My God. His eyelashes are insane. Ridiculous. Um, you could like get tangled up in him. I know, I know. Well, gladly. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's funny about him, and I mean this in an endearing way, because he's he's in his early twenties. I was an idiot when I was in my early twenties. Um, I just didn't have like the money and fame that he has. Right. But I really loved when his last album came out, and he was like, "This is from a way more personal place. It's like you know, I'm not with a group anymore. It's just about my life right now." And so because he's like 23, hot. And living in Los Angeles, <laughs> it's just about like fucking and smoking I weed. I know. So it's just all, like, yeah. yeah. It's super personal. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it's like a broad topic, but I believe that that's what you're up to right yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> completely. I, yeah, I don't think that he's very smart, but I like that too. I, you know what I mean? Cause he's just like, it's a little rough around the edges. Yeah, he's a little rough around the edges. And um, he is, getting his education in front of all of us um, the best he can. And I just, I don't know, he seems like he means well, as opposed to some stupid people who are also just trying to, like, you know, cause chaos and get over and be greedy. Like, like, I don't get that vibe from him. He's sort of like... um like the opposite side of the Justin Bieber coin, where it's like they have some similar qualities, but, like, they don't have the same vibe of being poisoned from the inside. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Um, yeah, he just seems more grounded. But it's true. I mean, if they're both just like young and rich and getting stoned, one of them rubs me the wrong way because he acts like kind of bratty about it. Yeah. And the other one is like I'm with it because it seems he seems more like a little more brooding and tortured. Sure. <laughs> um and I also just think that like so Bieber has a better voice. I, I believe yeah. that, but I just think that I feel like Bieber wasn't in the same um, we're going to tell you how to cut your hair and what to wear and, like, the, like, it, he, I don't think he was manufactured in the same way. Yeah. And that I feel like Zayn was, like, living under these all these rules for so long and, like, this was his, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm breaking free and I'm just going to spend it stoned and having sex. And it's like, totally. how can you not respect that, you know? Yeah. I think Justin Bieber is, like, almost, I don't know. He's like a puppy mill puppy or something where it's just right. like he was bred to be this way. Yes. Now and you can't fix he probably it. doesn't have <laughs> he doesn't have emotional intelligence. He doesn't have schooling, basic schooling. Yeah. And so it's like he probably is just like doing all of these increasingly crazy things to like chase a feeling. O- obedience school. <laughs> Does he need a little some obedience lesson? I mean, that's what like Hillsong was, right? I don't know. I'm doing work. I really like this actually, this idea that like we're tempted to compare Zayn and Harry just because they came out of the same machine. But really, it should be like Beaver and Zane. Yeah. Because they're kind of more chasing the same audience. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, they're very, uh, they're more R&B inspired. Yeah. Uh, no, I guess, I don't know, because Zane doesn't really dance, though, you know? Yeah. Bieber dances very well. Yeah. Again, he's like a talented, sad, broken boy. Remember when he pissed in a bucket? Yeah. That and bad. that was the same event where he um, flipped off a picture of Bill Clinton and then <laughs> in a bucket. Sorry, that rules. <laughs> I don't know. Does it? You're I've... Canadian, dude. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I think he's like the worst, but also that's like a good story. I guess so. I don't know. 
trying to re- think of how I react if Zane had done that. But see, Zane would never do that. No, Zane would never do that. He would just like say the N word in a car <laughs> while rolling blunts. <laughs> I actually think it was more Lewis who did that. So you don't have to blame Zane. Um, what did I tell you about destroying my illusions? Oh, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this interview's over. Um, <laughs> speaking of wrapping up, uh, yeah. can I play some of these quizzes with you? Sure. There's this one uh, one clip that I sent me was uh, Rate His Style, and it's about just various popular men at the time. And it's just, it's one of those things that is just like such a time capsule in like how things have changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Nick Cannon, <laughs> now basically known as the ex-husband of Mariah Carey. <laughs> he hosts something too. He's, America's Got Talent. Oh, that's pretty big. I guess. But didn't Tyra Banks take it? I think so. Hmm? <laughs> Johnny Depp, who is so drunk that he's losing his teeth. <sighs> so sad. Um, yeah, it's really sad. He used to be one of my faves. You know this. I mean, we don't have to talk about I know. it. What a fall from grace. But it's like we'll always have crybaby. True. True. Um, Paul Walker. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. Johnny Knoxville. R.I.P.? <laughs> <In his own. laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen him lately. In his own way. Uh, Bow Wow, who is now going by his uh, his Christian name. What is it? It's Shad. Shad. Moss, I believe. You're right. Mm. Um, and then Heath Ledger, who is R. also R. with the Angels. Yeah. Sad. Wow. Again, what an era. Yeah. Nicole Richie versus uh, Kimberly Stewart. We have a spread on that. Hmm. There's a spread on Jamba Juice. <laughs> Uh, Misha Barton drank one with Brendan Davis, who would go on to call Lindsay Lohan a fire crotch to paparazzi. And she's got a fire crotch, and all you guys, guys would, of course, please. suck because you're <laughs> desperate. I don't know. I think this was a really good age for, uh, like, teen gossip. I mean, there was definitely a lot going on. And uh, I guess one of the things that I did like about it, to be honest with you, was it felt very diverse. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot—I mean, just— the music and the stars, the types of music, there's Simple Plan alongside Diddy, alongside <laughs> yeah. Britney. The, the very diverse group that is Simple Plan. <laughs> no, I <don't> know. <laughs> um, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, it was just, I don't know. And it was kind of like, uh, like a happy optimism going on. Yeah. I also like remember using these pictures like and my walls were like very diverse at the time mm-hmm. where it was just like. I had, like, Omar Epps and then also Heath Ledger and then, you know. Yeah. I mean, this kind of slid into, as my uh, career at the magazine went on, it got more, it slid more emo. Like, by the end, we were doing more My Chemical Romance and stuff like that, which didn't have the, you know, the same sort of Disney Channel uh, giddiness that this earlier stuff did. Um, But it was still pretty, like, upbeat. Yeah. You know? Did you do you have any like memorable meetings from that time? Oh my God. I have so many, to be honest with you. I interviewed Jessica Simpson in her hotel room and she had no makeup on. And you could see her like little freckles and she was just like so cute and so sweet. And her mom was there, of course. Right. Um, and she was uh promoting newlyweds, like that's how long ago it was. She was like 
you know, in her southern twang, like, I have a new show coming out. I think it'll be really exciting for people to see this side of me. She was, like, so genuine, and it was before the tuna fish thing and, you know. Yeah. I also interviewed Diddy a couple of times, and um, one time there were a group of us, a group of journalists, and he was, like, extremely late, like, maybe two hours late, that we were just, like, sitting there and sitting there. And so he had a restaurant at the time, and he sent over fried chicken. (laughs) He was like, I'm sorry. His you know, one of his, like, entourage came in and one of his minions and said, you know, sorry, he's going to be late, but he sent over fried chicken for everyone. <laughs> nice. I, <laughs> I mean, know. And then when he came in, we, we were sitting on a couch and um, all the seats were taken. So he just sat on the floor and he, was like, answered questions just sitting wow, on the floor. Yeah. Sean John jeans? Yeah, basically. I think it was a Sean John <laughs> tracksuit. Oh, see, that's good for yeah, floor sitting. Yeah. And yeah. he had, like, a watch that was blinding with diamonds and the earrings, but he was, like, sitting on the floor. It was kind of like, even if it was fake, it was, it was like, nice. It was yeah, cool that he definitely. sat on the floor. Um, I had one situation where I was with Brittany at the studio. I wasn't, like, interviewing her, but I was there with somebody, and she, and I don't—it was, like, a long thing, but, like, everybody was recording at the same time, sort of, and she was there, and I got to, like, listen to her order food, <laughs> you know? And she was like, I want Starbucks and sushi. And, and like, yeah, and someone had to, like, go get it. Um, That's amazing. I know. It was kind of—yeah, and we were, like, sitting near each other, and— I don't know. It's an interesting time. A couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Michael uh, Luetis, who is Gossip Cop, and he is the one who produced her Dateline interview. Oh, wow. Where she just, like, where she cries yeah. and all that. And yeah. it's just like, again, what a journey. Yeah, definitely. She seems like she's in a better place than ever, so. Yeah. I wish. Uh, I mean, she still doesn't have control of her stuff, right? I kind of wish Jamie would let her stop performing because it doesn't seem like she really wants to. Yeah, I don't think she like, does Like, I feel like she just wants to, like, be with her kids. I and, think that's right. And I want her to have that. Yeah, like, she can't really yeah. dance anymore. It's like... Yeah. But at the same time, boy, did she dance for our entertainment. <laughs> don't I? Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you, you are for having me. such a joy. Aw, and I want a joy. You, I hope you come back. So we have uh, Anne Rasso in the studio, former associate editor of Tiger Beat, um, and now she is the current editor of Lux Life NYC, which is a lifestyle website. So thank you so much, Anne, for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here. So um, during your time at Tiger Beat, you guys were focusing on things that I don't think Tiger Beat is necessarily associated with focusing on. Like you covered a lot of metal bands. You covered Duran Duran. You know, you covered a lot of like very cool musicians um, that still have a lot of clout in the music world. Do you feel like that was a part of your influence or was that just the cultural uh, point of reference at the time? My own musical taste at that time was, I think, more progressive. So since I edited Tiger Beat Rock, I put a few oddballs in there. But also publicists pitch you people that were not keeping with the theme in a magazine. And honestly, in the teen field, there's never more than like four popular people in music like, you know, there's always, like, one big band. Mm-hmm. Like, there was One Direction most recently. There's no popular boy band now. They broke right. up. So 
Uh, there was that group Five Seconds of Summer that aren't quite as big. But there's not a lot of music in the teen world. And back then, there might have been a few groups people like, like Duran Duran made the step from being like a hip group that college-age kids liked in, say, 80 or 81. And then by 82, there were teen idols. And nothing's ever happened in that order before. I have nothing to do with that. I just think they were cute. Right, yeah. Girls didn't, like, it was like cool musicians who didn't look gross. They appealed to younger girls. I mean, generally, that more androgynous type is the type that appeals to young girls. Yeah, very pretty and non-threatening. And I remember at a press conference in this short-lived club where they had both Boy George and Duran Duran there, and they announced a tour that never happened, and that had to be 83 or 84. I don't know what happened. They're supposed to tour together. Tiger Beat Rock, you had more leeway. That was like when metal was starting. I interviewed Quiet Riot then, I remember, and I would be pitched all the heavy metal groups. They were always easy to get. You'd always be pitched those pe- those people. Like Crocus, people you don't really know about now. Like, I actually got to be in a couple of videos, but I was cut. I see my shadow <laughs> in the ballroom blitz video for Crocus. I see wow. my shadow. It's sort of like a hand holding a glass of champagne or something. And I did go on the set of some Aussie video, like, I think it was Crazy Train. I can't remember the specifics, except that those things were done, like, totally overnight to save money. Those were 24 or 48-hour shoots. Um, I saw some pictures of you behind the scenes because you wrote a really great Gothamist piece sort of about your time at Tiger Beat. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and you just have this, like, great, like, new romantic style. I don't know. You look amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I don't think that was new romantic. I just noticed there were girls with kind of rockabilly hair with, like, short sides and curly on top, but it looked crappy on me. Oh, I loved it. Oh, thank you. I don't know. You had, like, the good, like, metallic eyeshadow that I I feel like— And I still have the metallic eyeshadow. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Some things never die, you know? (laughs) Um. So do you feel like that was a really special time to be working in the teen industry? Or what was the best era to be doing that sort of writing in? For me, I was always a fan of music, even when I was little. And my ideal time period would have been when the Beatles and Stones were hot. Sure. And even the monkeys a little later. But you got to hang out with the monkeys. I saw pictures of you with uh, Davy Jones. Yes, I have interviewed Davy Jones a bunch of times And we did put him in Tiger Beat Rock. And I brought him a big binder of, like, 1967 issues. This was, say, 1984 was the first time I interviewed him. And it was on the set of Uncle Floyd's show. I don't know if that exists anymore. I don't think so. But I I drove to Newark. And our offices were in New Jersey anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. And I just remember I gave him this binder. And he was, like, on the cover of every issue. And he looked so sad looking at it. Like, he visibly seemed really sad. I don't know why. Maybe he has a pro- had a problem with aging. Yeah. But instead of saying thank you for it, it was a complete collection for a year in a binder. He just had nothing to say and looked really sad. I didn't want to ask why, so I just let it go. I mean, I guess if you're someone who has that kind of, like, baby cuteness, it oftentimes, like, doesn't necessarily age into, like, adult male handsomeness. So I could see... I think he aged fine, but you're not going to look—nobody's going to look baby-faced forever. No, definitely not. I was reading in your Gothamist piece about how these interviews would happen where 
it was really hard for you guys to get access. You know, it was, uh, you would get maybe one interview a year with like the biggest celebrities and then would have to cherry pick parts of that interview again and again, sort of throughout the issues. Exactly. The way it was done there is we had a transcriber, you'd given your tape, there'd be a transcript in the file for that artist, and you just circle what was used and you'd write what issue it was to make sure there was no duplication. So we'd have like one interview with most people would last a year. Thank goodness the stories were short. There were right. like a thousand words, maybe. So yeah, that really was bad. I mean, I really probably got one to two interviews in two years with the people I needed to write about every month for Tiger Beat Star, every month for Tiger Beat. And the rock groups or pop groups also had to be in something like Tiger Beat Rock, which I edited. So mm -hmm. it was really tough to make it stretch. Yeah, and I suppose the questions were pretty uh, standard, right? Where it's sort of, you know, what's your ideal date? What's your ideal this? You know, like you probably yes. don't get to stretch stretch your uh, well, chops very much. The way you did that is there were Tiger Beat questionnaires and all the teen magazines have them. I also did some work for Teen Beat, but I wasn't an editor there. And to make a long story short, all that basic stuff was on the Tiger Bee questionnaire. And as mentioned in the Gothamist piece, I took out of the files the ones the Who had filled out, like in 1966, put them on my bulletin board, and then after I left, I put them back in the files, and I kind of wish I stole them. I can't believe you didn't. I mean, I can believe it, but I just, I would have taken them. Uh, oh, but there, there were some... I got a kick out of giving those forms to rock people that would never normally do yeah. them. And I wish I took those to like really oddball ones like Stiv Baders, who was in the Dead Boys. He had a group called Lords of the New Church that I put into Tiger Beat Rock. And I just remembered he like wrote he was like five, seven and a half and like 108 pounds. I said, that is skinny. <laughs> He's got to be the skinniest guy I have ever shrimp. seen. And he was really nice, but it's he smelled like he had poured gin all over himself in the room at the Gramercy Park Hotel. I mean, it was very odd. And you had just like driven in yourself from New Jersey for these interviews with these kind of big names at the time. That was an oddball pick. That was someone I wanted to do. Um... But what I was about to say is all that basic information was on the Tiger Beat questionnaire, so you could move on to other questions if you got a half hour or an hour interview with a star. So do you have a favorite interview that stands out in your mind just sort of as, you know, maybe you liked the person the most, maybe it was the most exciting the most interesting person I've ever interviewed probably was Roy Orbison. That has nothing to do with teen stuff, and that was at Atlantic City. And I could just remember his band, like his Congo player was like his manager and bossed him around. Like everyone bossed him around. I'm like, wow, that blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> that is just wrong. But during my teen years, well, Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran, I remember interviewing twice at the Morgan Hotel. And I th still think of him when I walk by there. He is really nice, just really fun, easygoing person. Like, he looks like he'd be like this arty snob, but he was right. very nice. And some of the stuff I did before Tiger Beat, like, I had interviewed the Ramones a couple of times, and they were a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And they needed a lift to, like, when they were recording this album, Rocket to Russia. And so they all piled into my friend's station wagon who was with me. 
That's wild. Plus, they're just like all limbs, so I'm sure it really was just packing <laughs> in like sardines. I wish I remembered it better. I just remember them getting into the car. I can't remember what the conversation was. Do you have a least favorite interview or one that stands out in your mind as just being horrible for one reason or another? Well, there are a couple people who I guess were not into it and not so polite. Like I thought Sheila E., who was hot, I guess, I don't know, maybe it was 1986 or 87, just really never smiles, kind of just, I felt she was getting the interview over with. But generally, I had really good experiences. So for the people who don't know their music history, could you please explain who Sheila E. is? Sheila E. was the longtime percussionist for Prince. She, I believe, was his girlfriend at one time, too. I think you're right. And she kind of dressed like him. She was like a female prince. And she was a very talented drummer. Her father is a famous Latin percussionist. And I just remember her saying she never practices, that she just naturally got the talent. So unfair. <laughs> and she got to date Prince. <laughs> of all of, like, the cover boys at the time, who was the most popular? Well, John Stamos was the most popular in early 83. And he hated to be in any teen magazine. I actually did a piece on him for Playgirl, like, say, about 88. And I remember interviewing him at the Waldorf. And he was very nice, but it was cool for him to be in Playgirl, I guess, but not in teen magazines. And I mentioned in my article that before I had gotten there to Tiger Beat in early 83, our editorial director got a mysterious message just left either on the front door or on a bulletin board saying, please don't overexpose me that he wrote himself and put there and then left. <laughs> that's so um, that's so lame. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, and it's so funny now considering that he has now, like, kind of revitalized his career based on nostalgia and based on his fandom where it's sort of – he didn't want to be all about the hype back in the 80s, but now it's, you know, Full House again. Like, remember, guys, Full House. <laughs> I guess as time goes on – you appreciate it more when you're in the height of it. It's bad. But from what I hear back in the day, people would get interviews with the monkeys or the Partridge family. The old editors told me they would just be able to go on the set anytime they wanted. That would never happen now. I don't care if you're from Vogue, you're not going to be spending any day you want on the set of any show. Yeah, well, I mean, you read profiles of, say, Taylor Swift, and they're so carefully curated. And so just, you know, this is what you're allowed to write, clearly. Oh, wow. This is it is really bad right now. I still do some celebrity writing, but I am freelance, and I often have to get the interviews ahead of time and then have an agent sell them. And if you need to do them at a movie junket, you're really told by the PR you cannot ask anything personal like, even the lightest thing, the lightest personal subject, like what style is your kitchen or your kitchen cabinets will get you thrown out. <laughs> I hate that. Uh, yeah. Well, it's also people don't necessarily listen to celebrity interviews or read celebrity interviews to hear their thoughts on the craft. You know, it's like people read them because they want to know about them and they want to get excited about these people's lives. The publicists, especially in the movie business, want you just to stay on the topic of the film. How exciting. How exciting for everybody. <laughs> really, it is really tough. And very often, they'll pluck you out of the interview of a, like a roundtable situation. If they think you work for a tabloid or something like that, you'll be pulled out of the roundtable with the star. So then you're stuck 
with the new kid on the block who's got a supporting role or the director, and then you can't sell the piece. Right. Yeah, that's so, I don't know. It feels very gutless. It is. It's totally bad. And honestly, back in the day, none of the teen stars wanted to be in the teen mags. You could always get the rock stars. The R&B stars were great. And later, the rap stars were all great. Well, because they know how their bread is buttered. They're not, you know, like they know that they, they've been in the industry long enough that they know that it's not about where you're getting exposure. It's just about getting exposure. Right. You get a TV, uh, uh, like teen idol TV star or boy band, forget it. You're lucky you get one interview a year. It's still like that. All of your years of experience um, working with teen magazines give you sort of a greater appreciation for teen fandom, or does it make you more cynical because you kind of know how the industry is run? It does make me cynical. Um, It's one thing if you get an interview and write one piece. You're able to be alone with them. The publicist isn't, isn't sitting there, and something interesting is said. But where it's a controlled environment, your story is never going to be that interesting. Mm-hmm. And with Taylor Swift, and I think it's in the article in Gothamist, I got an interview with her and I'm all happy. Like, you can make a lot of money off an interview with Taylor Swift. Well, I had to submit my questions ahead of time. None of them were that nosy. And they were all scratched except one or two. I wasn't allowed to speak to her. They had to be answered via email. And then it's like, how do you even know that she's the one answering? That's you know? true. A lot of people have had their publicists answer questions. We'll never know, but right. that's just no fun. Yeah. If you think of sort of the celebrity industry as an economy, that's not really, they're not paying in their part. You know, it's sort of like everybody sort of scratches each other's backs and that's not helping anybody. Right. And it's even worse for photographers mm-hmm. because they have no access. And if they do, it's like a red carpet 20 other people have the photos, and I understand that the big photo agencies just let the editors have subscriptions, so they end up making a couple bucks a photograph on those red carpet things because everybody's got a subscription where they pay Getty Images X amount of dollars to use the whole catalog Mm -hmm. of anything any of the photographers take. So I really think there are very few photographers making a living. Well, plus celebrities have Instagram now so that they can kind of control their own images. Mm -hmm. Do you have any opinions about the teen stars as of now and sort of how they measure up maybe to those of the 80s? Well, it seems like there's some YouTube stars that I don't get. I want someone to sing or act. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, I could be a YouTube star for, like, women over 50. (laughs) Yeah, you should. Um, But I really don't know what to think of that. I really don't find it interesting. Those kids that do the YouTube channels, they just act silly and I don't get their sense of humor. Well, plus they all have names like Nash Greer, which is just throws me into a tailspin. I mean, I did interview One Direction a couple of times and they were very nice, I have to say. And that was the last big group I dealt with. They're broken up now. So I noticed Harry Styles is probably doing interviews right now if you want to try to get him in there. Because I keep getting (laughs) press releases from his publicist at Columbia Records for the new album. I was saying you should call in a favor and be like, Harry, I helped you out back when you were part of a group. Now's the time for the one-on-one. I don't think that would work. It was (laughs) really hard. I'm just trying to live vicariously. Oh, well, (laughs) last time I was trying for an interview, they gave it to a younger person on the staff I was working for. I kind of got rolled over. The publisher wanted a younger person to do it, and I'd work hard to get that interview. Well, ageism is such a thing, especially in music and pop culture writing. Yes, I kind of don't didn't think about it until recently, though. 
until that happened like three or four years ago, I never thought about it. So it was that you secured the interview and then they gave it away? I kept trying for one. I only got like one or two a year. And say this was when they first got popular five or six years ago. And then in the end, I really needed one. I tried and I tried. And then, I don't know, somehow someone younger on the staff got it. And then after that, that was it. But it was pretty much known that the last magazine that I worked for they hired like a 19-year-old and 24-year-old, and I was kind of on the outs. They had me down to writing contests and crap like that. That's so frustrating. Hey, well, you know, I guess everything kind of ends. But I do write and do roundups for Discovery Girls, which is an in-classroom magazine. So I have my hand in it a little bit. So I guess this is my final question, and it's maybe broad and it's maybe outdated. But what to you makes an ideal teen heartthrob? Well, generally, it's a guy who's under 25, say anyone from 13 to 25, who sort of has that baby face. And I would say is someone who's visible like on a TV show or in a boy band. Beyond that, there are certain types that get more popular than others. It always is the baby-faced guy, the group. Right, the Nick Carters or the <laughs> Justin Timberlakes. But that being said, over the years, there were a few more, like, adult-looking guys. Like, to me, Bobby Sherman, back in the day, I know you're really young, but he was popular around 71. Mm -hmm. He looked like a grown-up. He didn't look like a little boy. Right. Well, now that, like, beards are so popular, they're all kind of—I feel like a lot of the teen heartthrobs are, like, scruffing up. Yeah. Well, some of those trends are bad on boy bands. I'm glad the man bun has died. Yeah. I think Harry Styles had to chop his off. He had to get it off. He got too much black. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have any other thoughts that you want to share with us? You have a lot of insight, and it's been really interesting speaking with you about this. Well, thank you. My insight is I think that's a dying field, and I didn't think it would die so fast because you can't get big pinups off of the internet. You could print out photos, but they don't look the same. Right. But I think the internet has killed the magazine industry entirely. So I think there won't be any magazines in 20 years. Some old school people like that morning newspaper. So I think that'll last a little longer. Right. There'll be a section of the Smithsonian that's all just Tiger Beats framed. That would be very cool. I'm surprised they haven't done... uh, an exhibit like that. Well, people, I think, are very disrespectful to things that teenagers love just because it's considered shallow or, you know. But it's just, I don't know, we all like shallow things. And it's it's very silly to me to disregard a whole genre because teen girls like it. I agree with you on that. I've always really been into pop culture, and my apartment kind of looks like a museum or a little bit like the Hard Rock Cafe. <laughs> but my stuff I have hanging up is older. Like I have unused Jimi Hendrix tickets and a receipt he signed and then threw in the garbage and the maid unwrinkled it and then they sold it at Sotheby's. I have odd stuff like that. Sure. Well, Anne, thank you so much. This was a really great interview and it was really nice to talk to you. It was great to talk to you too. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Dirtcast, and thank you so much to Ann Rasso and Dodi Stewart. Our show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Drees. 
Manana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Our theme music is by Stuart Wood. This episode was mixed by Brad Fisher. Want to send us a tip or just let us know what you think? Hit us up at dirtcast at Jezebel.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. <laughs>